Welcome to the 17th episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics, but the joke's on us because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact, must use them. I'm Cisco, and I'll let you in on all the rules, but first, let's welcome my guest. We wish to create a line of books based on Who's Who number 17. Please welcome Paul Kien to the show. Hey, Siskoid. Thanks for having me. This is uh, really fun. And I think uh, you're a good fit for this because it's the Nightwing issue and you're one of the co-hosts of... The Batman Family Reunion. It's not quite Robin. You know, <laughs> uh, we have to work with what we had in 1986 or so in terms of who's who. But yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show. And I'll, I haven't asked Sean exactly yet. But the Robin issue is coming up. <laughs> so. I'm sure he'd be excited to do that. <laughs> Although you might get him talking about Robin's thighs too much. So, no. Were there difficulties with this issue? Because it's not all Nightwing all the time. No, it's not. Nightwing is the is the biggest name in this book for sure. But like by a long shot, in fact. And mm -hmm. the hardest character I had trouble with was Orion. We'll get to that one later for a variety of reasons, mainly because as he currently existed, I couldn't figure out a way to use him without the new gods. Uh, so I went in a different direction a bit. You know, it was just a lot of work. I wanted to figure out which ones I wanted to have in a shared sort of universe and which other things. I wanted to have a, a variety of uh, themes and genres, too. So it was just uh, a lot to coordinate 18 titles. For me, it was a lot of concepts that I have been on record as disliking. <laughs> Infinity Inc., The Outsiders, The Omega Men. You know, I'm always trashing these particular books or teams. You know, I had to make them... <laughs> Interesting somehow, to me anyways. <laughs> and the other problem is there are many characters that reference darkness in their names. Uh, a lot of night characters, but also like Obsidian and Onyx and Nimbus. It all means darkness. Mm -hmm. So how do you make it that it's not all the same? Like you, I was looking for variety. So one more time, here are the rules. Each episode of Who's Editing Will Go By, our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured, as well as any non-HQ location. If... Two characters share an entry, as happens here. We can give either a series, only one of them a series, or put them in the same series. We can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to, but we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other, so we can reboot characters or we can use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that we are each pitching our own ideas, so we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books, and listeners, you decide which books you'd actually want to read. And we'll actually play that game too, as we'll each have enough money to buy one title from the other editor's line. I'll be taking notes. Me too. I follow directions. <laughs> Paul, did, did you have a strategy going into this? I did. Uh, you mentioned a crisis. So I figured that after this crisis, perhaps it's the dark crisis. Uh, there are no JLA members left. They sacrificed not just their lives, but their entire existence to save the multiverse, right? They were never born. But many of the other characters we know are still alive, but they have lived and are living in much different circumstances. Also, similar to uh, when Roy, Ro Roy, Roy Rogers, Roy Thomas created the Young All-Stars, right? He, he was famous by saying the energy from having no Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman had to go somewhere. So, for example, we do have a different trinity instead of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. My trinity is Nightwing, Nightshade, and Nuclon. <laughs> so, um, okay. And so anyway, when I, I do have other things. Like I have some all ages and young adult books along with a Vertigo style. I just tried to... Uh, come up with uh, some of the elements of the original character, 
but different backstory and some other places I just jettisoned everything. So it sounds like yeah, it's really the comics of tomorrow. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? As for me, uh, but like I said, I really did want to make the characters I don't normally like likable or interesting to me. But I also found something of a theme with um, other dimensions, parallel worlds, fictional nations. So I hung a few things on that concept as well. Otherwise, Ooh. I mean, I created a lot of fun, light, even comedy series. I guess I was just in that mood. Cool. I just wanted it lighter. After the dark crisis, the dawn. You know? <laughs> With issue 17 of Who's Who, we have to include a minimum of 18 books in our line and a maximum of 20. Paul, I'm going to hand it off to you first, and we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order, but we'll keep our bonus villain series, if we have one, for the end. Right on. First one up is Nightshade. Nightshade is it's still in this universe, Eve Eden. And in this case, Eve has a backstory similar to that of the, what I guess, the post-crisis Nightshade, and that she, her brother, and her mother were all originally trapped in that Nightshade dimension, and they developed powers because of it. But in this reality, only Eve escaped as a young girl and thinking that her brother and mother were dead. Instead of being raised by her father, who was a senator, which was the whole Suicide Squad storyline, she was taken in by Haley's Circus, where she, of course, met and became best friends with Dick Grayson. And they end up being two of the founding members of the Outsiders. Uh, on her own, Nightshade fights villains like the Mist, the vampire Nocturna, who's also in this issue, and Simon, whose mental powers mess up her abilities. However, Eve leads an, a bit of a soap opera lifestyle. As an outsider, she fights evil along Nightwing and the others, is in a relationship with Nuclon. But unbeknownst to the outsiders, she also works Black Ops missions for the OSS. She wears a different costume and uses a different code name, the Silk Spectre. And also, while working in the OSS, she is irresistibly attracted to the bad boy of that group, the Hood. Uh, there's a big push on this book as the sort of Wonder Woman of the line. And so who could I get to write and draw it but the late, great George Perez? And uh, I'm also thinking the first issue maybe is a flip book with one side Nightshade, the other side Silk Spectre. Mm, okay. So we're Minutemen, Watchmen. It's kind of in the background of this. Okay. I mean, this is a very weird concept. On yes. the one hand, she's a CIA agent. On the other She's Alice in Wonderland all grown up. <laughs> so what the hell, Charlton Comics? As I'm combining the two ideas much more tightly. The Land of the Nightshades is an in-between world through which Eve can travel. The world responsible for many folk legends of fairies and, and changelings and all of that stuff. But enemy governments also know of this dimension and are using it to carry off black ops and assassination missions, essentially teleporting through high security defenses. So whoever controls the land of nightshades controls the world. Both sides are having a covert war in there, finding allies in the nightshades world that, that only a year before no one thought were real. And Eve is our top agent, protecting mm -hmm. NATO allies from rogue nations and the nightmarish soldiers that they've recruited. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. She's, yeah, it's sort of like the, instead of a cold war, it's the dark war. That's a good name for it. Um, the crossover coming up. But <laughs> but then I get to talk about Nightwing first in the way that we ordered this. So I know this is supposed to be your character. It, really, this is in the category, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. I am essentially bankrolling Nightwing as it is being published now. Writer Tom Taylor and artist Bruno Redondo are doing what I think is amazing work, yeah. giving me the Dick Grayson I want. 
To me, Dick is the light to Batman's dark, so his series can't be dark, even if Bloodhaven is a cesspool. So he's got to have a sense of humor. You have to feel the joy and the freedom and the acrobatics and the family of it. You know, this book is very much a Batman family book as it is written right now. And the art has to reflect that as well. So if I'm going to still play editor, I'm going to order a couple of storylines that Bloodhaven inspires in me. Uh, it's an old whaling town, so I want a whaling gimmick villain to show up. Maybe it could be Captain Stingery or something. Ooh, <laughs> he hasn't pull. really returned, has he? Yeah, good pull, yeah. And, and I want a, uh, a plot where the town gets an NHL franchise and resurrects the Hartford Whalers. <laughs> and, and we can have Nightwing doing stuff on the ice like, like Van Damme and Sudden Death. So, uh, <laughs> but basically... More of what we've been getting over the past year. Thanks. <laughs> That's cool. There are a lot of pressure here to make Nightwing good for you as well. Yeah. But in my world, there's no Batman. Right. There was no Robin, no Teen Titans. So who is Dick Grayson? His parents were still killed on the trapeze. But in this reality, the police did apprehend Boss Zuko. And he grew up in a loving and nurturing environment at Heli Circus. His best friend, as I mentioned earlier, was Eve Eden, who did a shadow act at the circus. And his mentor was a fellow named Cleveland Brand, who was hired to be an acrobat to replace his parents. And they worked together and, and Cleveland became his mentor. Cleveland also lost someone he loved to murder. But why has Dick chosen to be a hero? Uh, not out of grief or revenge, but more out of gratitude and responsibility and a real desire to make the world a better place. But because of Bloodhaven which, uh, or, and some of the other places that this book is set, it's more of a down-to-earth crime drama. There are fewer fancy gadgets than, you know, the Bat family has today. His more outrageous adventures will come in the pages of The Outsiders. His supporting cast is, uh, like I said, Cleveland Brand and the rest of the circus. Uh, that way they can also travel around and have different adventures in different locations. Hmm. Uh, Dick is the primary non-powered hero of the DC Universe. I almost also went with the current Nightwing team of Taylor and Redondo, but I wanted to go a little older school on the look of this book, and I went with the writer of Ed Brubaker and art by Dave Mazzucchelli. Let's jump right into Nightwing and Flamebird then, because is this connected? I didn't mention why Dick chose the name Nightwing. So he was inspired by stories of heroism. He took the name Nightwing after his favorite animated TV show, The Adventures of Nightwing and Flamebird. So my comic is a DC TV comic that takes place in Silver Age Candor. It's still Jimmy and Clark, but they're fictional characters. Right? They're trapped in Candor, however, with all kinds of strange villains, and strange things happen to Flamebird and slash Jimmy all the time, like getting turned into a giant turtle or stretching powers. And this is sort of this book is sort of a cross between Batman 66, Jimmy Olsen, and little Adam Strange thrown in in an animated Timverse style. It's for all ages. It's a little closer to Teen Titans Go than the animated series. And I have written by Sholly Fish, who did the great Scooby-Doo team up. And illustrated by Ramona Fraden. We're essentially seeing the TV show that inspired Dick. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. I, I did not put Nightwing in this. This is a book called Flamebird. Titans West's Flamebird, specifically, because she doesn't get an entry in this volume of Who's Who. But I do want her to have her own series. I've done enough with Candor on other episodes of this show. Uh, you know, <laughs> so you didn't want to go back there. No. So this one is going to have the feel of a tennis manga. Uh, mm -hmm. With a lot of sports action and subplots, and we're not really going to shift gears tonally when she puts on the costume or anything. She was inspired by seeing Nightwing climb past her hotel window in Bloodhaven mm -hmm. and sort of crushed on him from there. And maybe if she makes her mark as a superhero, he'll take notice. 
which is why her identity is designed to be the Robin to his Batman, sort of. Uh, but she's a flirt with everyone, and she has a hard time making friends with other women because she's been competing with them since she was a child. So she has a lot of flaws. But over the course of the series, we'll discover that First, she can find purpose without a boy to inspire her. And second, other women are not the enemy and can make strong allies. So it's a comedy coming of age with fun art. As you can cool. see, I don't I don't really cast the creative team because I'm I'm really not good at that. <laughs> well, I just went with either in some cases ones I thought could really do and other ones I just went with some of my favorites. That's all. Of course. You get to be editor just once. <laughs> you know, have fun with it. Okay, so uh oh, Nimbus. That's the next one. Now this this was my hardest one. It really was. Down to the wire on this one. It was a running joke, listeners, in the Fire and Water chat, for That's sure, true. About, That's true. about Nimbus and Cisco not being able to figure this one out. Complete overhaul of the IP. What does Nimbus mean? This is what cracked it. Okay, what, what does Nimbus mean anyway? It means dark cloud. So, okay, let's make this a cyberpunk techno thriller starring a proverbial ghost in the machine. Nimbus is an AI that has escaped into the internet. He was programmed as an experiment in morality to see if a computer could make ethical decisions. But what he finds on the web, the, the World Wide Web, the dark web, all versions of the web, that really shakes his assumptions to their core. Uh, he becomes a digital superhero fighting cybercrime in virtual spaces. And there might be less ethical AI villains as well. But will he be stained? by his environment and go more and more the way of the vigilante or the anti-hero. The stories will be tech-savvy and more than a little weird, I guess, building a virtual universe that, that's perhaps akin to Wreck-It Ralph, but, you know, played straight, <laughs> played straight. Uh, and we'd use computer art and you know, computer screens and things that we're, we're used to seeing all the time. We live our lives online, so it's about time we get a, a hero protecting us out there. That's awesome. I love it. It's super funny because I started from the same point. The first line in my notes here was, what the heck is a Nimbus? A dark cloud. <laughs> That's exactly the first line in my in my notes. But other than rain, what are clouds known for? Well, the dark web stores data in the cloud. So my, my comic, Nimbus, stars Barbara Gordon as Nimbus. Ah. Barbara and her dad never moved to Gotham as a child. Her dad, Jim, was a Chicago cop, but she still had her athletic training and her librarian and computer skills. Jim was at some point shot and crippled in a wheelchair, so she decided to use her abilities by scouring the dark web as Nimbus. Now, what I wanted to do in this series is resist the urge to make Barbara the woman in the chair for other teams. So she's not Oracle. She's not affiliated with any of the other heroes. She'd, of course, have crossovers and such, but she goes after really dark things like human trafficking, cybercrime on the dark web. Uh, once in a blue moon, she'll put on a costume like uh, the Phantasm from the uh, animated series with smoke mm. effects and stuff. But that's only to scare people into giving her information. She's not going on patrol, stuff like that. She is funded by her friend Ted Cord, whose company is in Chicago. And she bumps head with the OSS, as we'll see a little later. She may try to out them if they are not careful. My favorite uh, Barbara Gordon author is Gail Simone. So she's writing this with art by Phil Jimenez. I think that's a great idea to repurpose the name Nimbus. Thanks. I, I, yeah, I, I have a couple like that. So okay, uh, we'll see okay. how they go. Okay. What about Northwind? Okay, this was my second hardest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I went uh, all over the place on this one. I went with a totally new character, still first name of Norda. But instead, my title of my comic is Northwind and South Star. 
Norda Hunkel is a totally new character. She's the great, great, great granddaughter of Ma Hunkel. She's different than Cyclone. Uh, she does have speed powers, but this is a book where the action happens off screen, like in Love and Capes. The book follows Norda and her best friend, guess who? Courtney Whitmore, who is South Star, as they are introduced to all the other heroes in the new DCU. It's sort of a sitcom with a little action thrown in, sort of all ages fun. And due to that way of having the action happen off screen, I'll, I'll have uh, Tom Zoller do the art and scripting for this. You know, there's only one good red tornado, and it's my uncle. <laughs> What'd you do for Northwind? My cue, I took my cue from listener Rob McCarthy. He sort of gave me the Ooh. idea in the Zero Hour Strikes comments section when he called for a new teenage or 20-something Hawkman that might be mm. the son of the original. Well, Hawkman did have a son, Silver Scarab, but uh, Northwind, his godson, is the one I, I get to work with today. So it's going to be him. This is called the all-new, all-different Hawkman. It's him. He hails from Federa, uh, lost city of bird people in Greenland which we will treat as an Atlantis, where stories can happen. <laughs> For example, the melting of the ice caps puts in, in danger, and the Fetherans have to reveal themselves to the world, and so on. The new Hawkman is their ambassador, sort of their Wonder Woman, a hero meant to get the Groundlings' trust. We're the Groundlings, I love it. Yeah. The Groundlings. Nord would wear something more Hawkman-like, Instead of the like red straps, it'd be like blue straps. Just to, and I'd probably change his feathers to black because he's entirely too orange. Uh, <laughs> he, he'd have strong superhero adventures as he's the hero of the skies, still young. So I, I, I want a bit of Spider-Man vibe to his subplots. His godparents have returned to Thanagar, so he doesn't have his usual support system. Mm. Uh, it should feel like like your first year away from home when you go to college or whatever. Cool. From an infinitor to another infinitor, Nuclon. <laughs> I know he's important to your scheme. In in mine, this is another one where I like his colors, but we got to get rid of his mohawk. So <laughs> I'm really ordering a series where he is Adam Smasher. But we would tweak the costume so that he can keep the red and black. I would have Ray Palmer, the current Adam, disappear into the microverse just as Albert enrolls at Ivy University to study aeronautics, inheriting the Adams villains as a result and discovering that the campus is a weird place, as per all-new Adam. It's kind of had that similar vibe. Uh, he gets summer work at Ferris Aircraft, always coincidentally mm. when Green Lantern is away in space somewhere, and he inherits Hal's villains during his internship. So basically, cool. wherever his fortunes lead him, He's always in someone else's territory. He's having to deal with their baggage. Uh, so we see basically how our younger hero takes care of threats that we're used to see defeated by veteran. So it's meant as a spin on the legacy hero. But, but since the Al Pratt Adam doesn't really have a rogues gallery... Mm -hmm. I went and borrowed from some Justice Leaguers. Feels a little bit like the um, uh, Starman before James Robinson Starman, the uh, Will Payton Starman. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. So Nuclon is one of your outsiders. He's one of your Justice League guys. Yes, Nuclon is the Superman of our DCU, but I did not go with Albert Rothstein. I went with someone named Adam Blake. <laughs> Adam Blake has been around since the 1940s. In fact, he was the first public superhero 
He was uh, subjected to a nuclear accident, of course, and he gains superpowers instead. Now, he's kind of a combination of Captain Comet, who was Adam Blake in, in the Bronze Age, Captain Adam, and Nucleon himself in, in our current. The public thinks, though, that he's passed on the torch to his son and then grandson over time. But it's really him all this time. He's had people who have loved him, but he's watched them all die. So his powers are crossed between the human bomb and damage, but with he's got telekinesis flight and super strength, etc. He also trains other heroes and was the first hero that was recruited into the Outsiders after Nightwing and Nightshade by, by the Outsider. Uh, he has fallen for Nightshade and doesn't know how to tell her that he's 100 years old, so there's drama there, along with the fact that although Nightshade likes him, she's also cheating on him with the hood, so they both have secrets. This series is more sci-fi than general superhero. Lex Luthor Jr. is his archenemy, he blames Adam, who or rather who he thinks Adam is as Adam's father, for the death of his father. And also in this series, we get flashbacks of earlier times that Adam was uh, Nuclon, you know, before, and it's kind of like the times past in Starman. So I went with James Robinson writing and art by Jerry Ordway. That was a very interesting take on the character. Yeah. Just trying to do something totally different. No, I like it. Obsidian is next. There are three Infinitors in a row. Yeah, three in a row. So this one, uh, I went with an anthology Vertigo book called The Obsidian House. It stars Todd, but not Todd Rice, Todd Eden. He's the brother of Eve Eden, Nightshade, who we I mentioned. She thinks is dead, and he's trapped in the Nightshade dimension. So this is... He's, sort, he's been stuck in this nightshade realm, right? It's sort of like Sandman, but instead of dreams, this realm has sort of living embodiments of dark secrets of people that populate the reality. Doesn't sound similar to what you had. It's just not used for crossing the way that, that you creatively used it. So the main story in each issue, though, is Todd narrating some sort of thriller or horror stories, acting like a host, kind of like Cain and Abel or in the House of Secrets or something like that. But the backup story each month uh, has a continuing narrative of Todd's efforts to escape the nightshade dimension. Will he get out? I'll let our writers decide that. So you might think I picked Neil Gaiman for this, but I'm going to go instead with Doug Monk and uh, rotating artists on the main feature. But what I really want is Kelly Jones to design the world of the Nightshade dimension. And Kelly Jones does the backup story art each issue. I like that because it's like it also makes Nightshade be Jade in a way. So mm -hmm. uh, it's a good remix. Obsidian is the only Infinitor who gets to keep his original name for me. I would also keep the character's basic look, his shadow powers, and his identity as a married gay man. His sister Jade has become a de facto Green Lantern. She's left Earth. And without her light, he's fallen more and more into darkness. But he doesn't know it. He only does, you know, light superheroing. But his shadow has been escaping and going full vigilante without him. Mm -mm. Wow, cool. So at the start of the series, where he's getting these vivid nightmares and then sees things in the news that relate to them. And it's all very mysterious, even to the readers. Ultimately, he'll have to capture and harness his shadow, find ways of coping and protect his relationships. So it's, a, it's very Tom King, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I might as well hire him for it, if only to keep his fingers off characters I like better. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's it for Infinity Inc. The next one, Omac. I love Omac. Omac is one of my favorite Kirby creations ever. There have been many dead ends, <laughs> many dead end <laughs> takes since Kirby created him. I really need to return him to his roots. One man army core in a crazy future, but there's still a twist. I looked it up, and a core 
is some 45,000 soldiers. So in this timeline, there was a war fought that could have led to the Great Disaster, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And Earth, united under the Global Peace Agency, has found a purpose for 45,000 veterans of that war who have volunteered for the OMAC project. We'll see that when OMAC is called for, Brother I has to signal the veterans to activate their trance device and pool their minds and physical strength into a beam redirected to Buddy Blank. Now, this OMAC can draw on the memories and skills of a vast international group of soldiers, so his personality may change based on the mission, and certain strong-willed veterans may even take him over with plans of their own. Cool. To address uh, one of my pet peeves about modern genre fiction, at no point will the Global Peace Agency be proven to be corrupt or infected with a dark conspiracy. (laughs) Uh, Brother I must never be sinister. And in fact, he will help Omax stop any GPA trader before it gets too far. I'm not saying there can't be that storyline brewing, but, you know, it's not a vast conspiracy. And it's okay if you put conspiracies into your books. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a few in mine. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't like it on TV. So I'm just not reproducing it in comics here. What did you do with Omac? I had a page in a notebook where I tried to all kinds of combinations of what what Omac stood for. Okay. Okay. I had all kinds. And so where I landed was one man against chaos. Buddy Blank is a cipher. He doesn't know where he came from or what its past was. So he was the perfect vehicle for the Lords of Order to fight the Lords of Chaos. He has to battle alone, one man. The balance between order and chaos is so delicate that he has to trend carefully because although he works for the Lords of Order, he knows that chaos can't completely be eliminated or there will be dire consequences. And although he thinks he is alone, one man against chaos, he does have a secret observer sent by the Lords of Order. Of course, he's that observer is named Brother I. Right. So this is a new kind of magic hero. He's not Dr. Fate or the Spectre or Zatara, but he he's, begins out not very good at magic, but over time uh, gets better at it uh, eventually to battle the Lords of Chaos. We see his progression. He, in the meantime, he fought, fights villains like Felix Faust, the Patchwork Man, others, uh, with a subplot being this ultimate confrontation, but not a betrayal of the Lords of Order. But they don't get everything they want. I wouldn't necessarily call this a limited series, but it does seem like it has a definitive end at some point. And here I picked Neil Gaiman for uh, with one of my favorites, Tom Mandrake on art. Oh, yeah. I like Tom Mandrake. So I went with magic. I went totally different. Good idea on on how to change the acronym. I like that. Okay. The Omega Man. My favorites. Your favorite. More more of my favorites. (laughs) Save them. Yeah. So what I did with the Omega Men, I threw out Primus and Callista and Tigor and all those. We threw them all out. Okay, and this is a time travel book. There are three Omega men who have come back from a very bleak far future, the end or the Omega of time. Their job is to protect humanity from the mistakes that led to their bleak future. Sort of like a proactive Gary Seven from the original series or Talon from Picard. They are actively looking to change a series of events that happen now that butterfly into the carnage of the future. So throughout the course of the series, they find out, though, that their history has been tampered with and it therefore gives them even more resolve to fix it. But they only have sort of general guidance to go by, so records, of course, are limited. At this point, Paul would like to give credit to his son Tommy Kien for the idea. Thanks, Tommy. Their enemy is Per Degaton, who is also a time traveler and the leader of the Alpha Men, who are the ones tampering with the timeline in the first place. So we do time jumps throughout the DCU. We see heroes past and future, like the Legion and maybe Jonah Hex, and they pursue Per Degaton across time. 
I was toying with using three famous time travelers as this un- incarnation of the Omega Men. So Rip Hunter, Wave Rider, Booster Cole. Right. But I would discuss that with my writer. But I think I know which way he's going to go, given that I have Dan Jurgens on writing and art with plot assists from Jeff Johns. <laughs> Yeah, you're pretty much ensuring what you like. Well, that's what an editor does, right? And I can't believe that my Omega Men are going to be more on model. That's absurd. <laughs> but what struck me as insane when I read those early Omega Men issues, because I did, I, I'm not blindly hating did your them. research? But no, well, some time ago. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying I read them for this. Is that here is this team of rebels from a bunch of subjugated worlds, and they defeat the Citadel in about seven issues. And and then you get all these convoluted stories to bring back some kind of citadel in some form. <laughs> so why do they win in the first yeah, place? Yeah, don't make them win. So my take is much more desperate, with the Omega Men barely holding on. A mix of, I really want this to feel like real war comics, but mixed mm. in with Legion five years later. Uh, Suicide mm. Squad, maybe, played on these very diverse worlds in the Vegan system. The series is grounded, if not mired, in the mud of war. So we're not going to see these godlike or esoteric characters uh, like Oron or Nimbus. You know, we're not going to get those <laughs> or guys. Zal. Yeah, or Zal, no. I might even lower the power levels on guys like Primus, you know. But that's basically it. We're going to grunge it up. Cool. I like it. Uh, next up is Onyx. So based on the art alone, Onyx should be a major star. This is one hot-looking entry. Yep, yep. Uh, what she needs is not to be so deep in Green Arrow's bench of side characters. That's why she's so obscure. Green Arrow, of all people. So I was watching a lot of black exploitation films when I was working on this. And one of the tropes of those movies, which was more or less replicated on the Luke Cage show, is the hero who takes care of his neighborhood because the cops won't, and who is protected by their fierce reputation as someone you don't want to mess with. And uh, and they usually hang out in some local business. For Luke Cage, it was a barbershop. For Mr. T and Trouble Man, no relation except probably the Mr. T stole it <laughs> from that. It was a pool hall, you know, for example. So for Onyx... It's the Sounds Okay record store, which is mentioned in the entry. I know it's hard to do music in a comic book, but I want that store to justify a funky, cool, stylistic approach, maybe including soundtracks to the action for readers to look up on streaming services while they read. Oh, cool. I like yeah, that. Yeah, she's a Pam Greer character, with, uh, but she's in a role usually given to male stars. And I love the outfit. But she would also wear all sorts of 70s-inspired variations on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is my black exploitation book. My book is called The Onyx Canary. She's the same woman, the African-American woman, uh, who didn't have any other name other than Onyx. She was raised in the monastery outside Star City. But there's no Green Arrow. There's no Black Canary, right? She did learn archery, martial arts. She got noticed by the League of Assassins and worked for them for a while. But eventually she rebelled against Raza, Gol, and Talia, and who are now her key villains. She, she thinks they know more about her past than they let on. So she doesn't have superpowers, but she took the name Onyx Canary because of her one possession from her birth mother, a necklace of a canary. So it's sort of a combination of Green Arrow and Black Canary. This one's kind of gritty, no superpowers, urban drama. But then once in a while, she gets some intelligence on Roz and Talia and then goes on international intrigue missions and tries to destroy Lazarus pits and stuff like that. And so given all that, I went with Mike Grell, story and art. Sure. Yeah. Here we are. 
Orion. Here's my hard one. Your bugbear. I went through so many iterations of, of what Orion was. Uh, I had it a humor strip, a romance strip. I had all kinds of stuff <laughs> going on. And at the end of the day, I went with Orion of the Fifth World. Orion is still the son of Darkseid. He was raised on New Genesis by High Father, etc. But after the crisis, all the new gods, Darkseid, Apocalypse, everything gone after the crisis, like they were never there. Orion is the only one left. He's the only one who remembers anything about the universe before. So he goes on a quest to see what has happened to the fourth world. Why him? He visits other planets in the DCU. We see how they are the same or different. Places like Krypton, Ram, Thanagar. Uh, along the way, he stops galactic threats like the Sun Eater, Mongol, and War World, things like that. It's kind of a space opera. The recurring antagonist is Lobo. And over time, he finds some clues to that crisis and the disappearance of the new gods. And who does cosmic better than Jim Starlin? Big guns. <laughs> I, have a, I have a big payroll. Yeah. <laughs> Lobo's going to show up in my line as well. You just have to wait for it. So, Orion. Jack Orion, Metropolis's top bounty hunter, bringing in bail skippers and working with the police. His contact there would be the irascible Dick Turpin. To bring in wanted criminals, especially in cases where they fled the county or the country or even the planet. Because this is still the Orion you know. But the war in heaven is over. And Orion, he's torn between New Genesis and Apocalypse. And he's decided he wants neither throne. So these are his adventures without the fourth world baggage. As big as Jack Kirby would have made them, but uh, the other new gods don't show up. And he doesn't have a mother box anymore, so he doesn't have a gadget to help him keep the brutish, ugly side of him in check, which is going to play havoc with his Jack Orion identity, his love life, uh, etc. I want the epic adventure to be contrasted by or with normal human problems as Orion has to learn to control his temper and keep his godly privilege in check, which I think is, is... The whole series might be a lesson in humility. I like that a lot. Next up is OSS. Well, instead of the OSS being proto-CIA in my case, as it was in history, in fact, I'm making it proto-checkmate. It's in the 40s, it's taking care of strange threats during the Second World War, seeing as superheroes were prevented from fighting abroad by the Dragon King and the Spear of Destiny and all that stuff. So I would totally keep the cast that's presented here in the issue, with Dina appearing as a... she's supposed to be dead, so as a ghost that only mm -hmm. Control can see. She's not actually a ghost. Well, maybe she is, She's a, but she's a figment of his imagination. Uh, he was more traumatized by her death than he let on. But the OSS also includes all sorts of specialty agents pulled from Weird War comics, a bit like Mission Impossible, but with really, really stranger abilities. So you'd get the Unknown Soldier, GI Robot, stray members of the Creature Commandos, a guy who managed to train a small dinosaur in the war that, you know, that time forgot, the Haunted Tank, whatever. And I will also use the series to reintroduce Golden Age characters that have been largely forgotten, which is a sort of a hobby of mine, like Red, White, and Blue, Spice Masher, Incredible Athlete Pep Morgan. These guys were in a lot of issues, I gotta say, but then completely forgotten. They're not in Who's Who. So these other non-costume characters all held long-running strips in the 40s, and I want to bring him back in this series. And, you know, maybe they get killed off or something because right. the war is dangerous. But you mentioned OSS a number of times already. Mine is a little similar, but it is set in the, in the present day. It's a black ops division of the U.S. military. The field team of the OSS is kind of a cross between the Suicide Squad and the Losers. Okay, my field team is led by Frank Rock, and the other members of the team are Silk Spectre, as we've established, Nemesis, Sarge Steele and the Hood, uh, whose secret identity is Jason Todd, right? They recruit 
mission specialists as needed so we can have guest stars. Uh, they are assigned their missions by a secret leader. Instead of being control, my secret leader is called the persuader. Okay, kind of like the Secret Six. They don't know who the persuader is. Is it Lex Luthor Jr.? Is it the Outsider? Is it Amanda Waller? Is it Wade Eiling? Somebody else? We don't know. But over time, the team comes to suspect that the persuader's motives are not always aligned with national interest. So sorry, I went conspiracy. Yeah, I went went to conspiracy for you. So the persuader, though, would be eventually revealed in a big crossover at some point with the Outsiders, the OSS, and secretly the Omega Men. And we're going to call that crossover the Janus Directive. Oh, yeah. Nimbus would be involved somehow trying to out the OSS and the Persuader. Will it work? We'll have to see. In terms of the Persuader, I'm going to do something neat. I will reveal who the Persuader is in the comments of your show. So it's going a week or so from when this episode drops. Okay. So listeners, leave your guesses. Who is the Persuader in the comments? It is someone from the DCU who you could reasonably expect. And it's not a cheat out of nowhere, but I hope it'll make sense. So in this case, you said that yours was a proto-checkmate. My writer here is Greg Rucka and art by Mikhail Janin. And so wait and see on who the persuader is. My guess is the persuader from the Legion. Well, I tried to use some of the villains in other ways, too, if I can't you know, so anyway. That's good. So next up is another character that you've mentioned, the outsider in the who's who. This is the entry that they gave to Alfred Pennyworth. <laughs> could be an Alfred book. It could be, but you called him outsider. So what is it? It is the outsider, but it does star Alfred Pennyworth. And the title of the comic is Pennyworth, colon, The Outsider. It is a 12-issue limited series. So Bruce Wayne was never born, but Thomas and Martha were still killed. Alfred had been their butler, you know, got some inheritance from them, but not tons of money. He was he, he decided to battle corruption and evil as the outsider. But in order to really fund this, he starts by running a sting on some of Gotham's underworld. Think Carmine Falcone, Oswald Cobblepot, Roman Sionis. He gets money that way and furthers the operation he builds over time. So this is sort of Alfred slash Outsider years one to ten. At the end of it, he will found the Outsiders, which we'll talk about next, as he builds up his network and he assembles the team. So imagine three four-issue arcs. So arc one is the sting on the underworld that I mentioned with art by Paul Golasi. Arc number two He develops a friendship with Lucius Fox, who's the CEO of Wayne Tech, you know, that still exists, who begins to underwrite the endeavor, provides techs and becomes Alfred's friend with that chapter by Gene Colan. And in arc three is the recruiting of the heroes, brighter, more forward looking. And that one, we've got art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. name. And all 12 covers are by Brian Bolland. And since we want a kind of dark spin on this, can you guess why I'm writing this? Tom King. (laughs) At least he still gets work. (laughs) Really, both of us employed him. <laughs> it just sounded like one of his projects <laughs> when I got there. Um, I, I went all Alfred, although it's not impossible for the outsider with the as he looks there in his purple underwear <laughs> to show up in it because it, this is called Pennyworth Adventures in Butlering. <laughs> Obviously, a comedy series uh, set in Wayne Manor and Gotham City up to a point that shows how Alfred. Helps out even more than we think with Batman's affairs. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we want to see him get the dry cleaning, but it's super complicated because Crazy Quilt has attacked the dry cleaners and screwed up the suit. (laughs) You know, he's chauffeuring. He's having to teach Robin some lessons. He occasionally is dressing up as Batman to fix some secret identity snafu. He's getting rid of Guano in the Batcave. He's getting turned into the Outsider. (laughs) And he's doing it all with that stiff upper lip and easy, cool manner of of a Mr. Belvedere, really. So uh, Uh we're going cartoony on the art and just having fun with it. 
Oh, I love it. Uh, next up is The Outsiders. I get to go first. This is not my bugbear in the sense that it was hard, but I am a known opponent of The Outsiders as a viable <laughs> property. Well, my problem always was that they weren't outsiders. That was my main beef. Because I read a lot of it. I read, you know, I read like a couple of years worth. And they're not outsiders. I could use the IP and do something else, of course. But when I think outsiders, I do still think of that original group. So it's mm -hmm. really about making the names fit the group or the group fit the name. Okay. It's the original gang, minus Batman, in the original outfits and haircuts, which are all better than what we see in the entry. Mm -hmm. As the series starts, we find each of them are on and from different Earths, and they're facing some kind of crisis-level threat. Ooh. Pariah will be there to tease his own series. Stay tuned. And, and over the course of that first story, these heroes all become the last survivors of their worlds, ending up on Earth-1. Black Lightning is from a world where the Civil War ended with the creation of a Black America covering the Lower East Coast. Katana is from a world of feudal states, including her own Japan. Geoforce is from a world where the Axis won World War II, but his little Baltic country is still resisting, and he's, he's the champion. Halo is from a world that's completely ethereal, so she's just an energy uh, that now possesses an Earth-1 girl to survive, which is going to be a problem because Gabby has her own life. And Metamorpho is the one guy actually from Earth-1, helping them adapt and find their way on this adopted world. And this, we hope, has a potential for a lot of fish-out-of-water stories, misunderstanding of all sorts, and, you know, and stronger characterizations for the leads. And we can probably, like, show them in flashback and doing things so that we get that multiversal flavor as well. Oh, I love it. I love that. But your outsiders are basically the JLA. The JLA, this universe, the Trinity, Nightwing, Nuclon, and Nightshade. Other members are the Onyx Canary. And just because I like them, Katana and Metamorpho, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're in there. Occasionally, OMAC helps out, kind of like the Phantom Stranger did in the Satellite era of the Justice League. He pops in, he's there, and then he pops away. Uh, they have a teen sidekick, too, but it's not Snapper Carr. It's Ronnie Raymond. Think big threats against the Earth, Kendra Rose, Starro, the Queen of Fables. But also, in the spirit of the original Outsiders, and you know how they've had foes like the Nuclear Family, these Outsiders also fight teams with names like Eminent Domain, Shock and Awe, the Remote Workers, and my favorite, the Binge Watchers. So Alfred is older. He sponsors the team. He's the man in the chair and the headquarters, of course, is that scary cave under Wayne Manor, which Alfred now owns. So I'm going with the classic Mike W. Parr and Jim Aparo with covers by Alan Davis. And since Aparo can only do 10 issues a year, we get filling art by all kinds of greats like Neil Adams, Michael Golden. Maybe even for the annual, we'll get Dick Dillon to do the art. I was going to say, it's got to be Mike Barr if, if those are the villains. Yes, exactly. <laughs> villains designed by Mike Barr, at the very least. <laughs> Okay, well, next up is Packrat. Well, I went totally different with Packrat. Nothing to do with the, um, the Tari Force. Uh, I went with Cleo Flanagan. She is the, uh, the young adult series of graphic novels. So Cleo Flanagan is the teen daughter of Otis Flanagan, who was a villain called the Rat. So this is inspired a little bit by uh, the Rat Catcher 2 from the Suicide Squad movie, but, but different. You know, he's been in prison a long time. Cleo is a bit of a loner. The other kids make fun of her. They call her a pack rat because she's always out and about searching around, has adventures in the DCU, and she finds things left over from superhero battles like Nightwing's escrimis sticks, Onyx's arrows, you know, things like that. And she collects them all. Her adventures are lighthearted, uh, but are growing experiences for her as she navigates through the, the DCU. Here I went with a great team that did the story Superman Smashes the Clan. So I went with Gene Wen Yang and Gura Hiro. And I like how the rat catcher, like from that movie, 
It's like that was basically a new character. Was like a, an old name, but a new character. And okay, that's a good, interesting one. I I use Packrat as is, but no Atari Force. Okay. Uh, so Packrat is in the wide DC universe, intersecting with guest stars like Space Cabby and Lobo. Told you. Ah, there's where Lobo comes. Got I it. essentially see him as Harry Harrison's stainless steel rat, a space opera con man, thief, and all around rascal. He's got quick fingers, fast-talking wit, and he gets into a lot of trouble, but he gets out of it with some flair. He still has a moral center, but he's he's really good at justifying his crimes to himself. You know, the stainless steel rat usually did it by saying, like, the public needs thrills, and I provide that. <laughs> uh, or we can talk, you know, insurance companies are the real villains anyways, or his marks are dishonest, like in Leverage or something. So Retief of the CDT or Batlash might also be references handed to the writer on this one. You know, that kind of feeling. I really like the cool but righteous rascal as a character type. And I like the contrast between that and, like, this guy's unusual appearance. But, it, you know, if Rocket Raccoon or Howard the Duck can be stars. Why not Backrat? Yeah, very cool. So what's next? Paradise Island. Well, this is a non-HQ location, so it must be covered. I just called this series Amazons. And it's essentially Wonder Woman family, in honor of my guest. <laughs> it will have strips about Nubia and Artemis and Amazon history going back to Greek myth and even the island's future projected to, I don't know, the Legion's era, or, as well as a humor page starring the Kangas. I need that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I imagine Wonder Woman has her own book run by some other editor. So her own strips in this anthology, you kind of need to have her in there. But they'll be about alternate versions of her, whether that's the white pantsuit super spy or the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman or young Diana, just like they have in the, you know, the backups in the current series. Wonder Woman family. What are you doing with Paradise Island? It's funny. I almost went with sort of an anthology Wonder Woman family book. Not exactly the same, but I, I, I thought of that. Uh, what I did instead, I said, okay, there's no Diana. She never existed on Themyscira, right? Steve Trevor died in a plane crash over the ocean, right? But the Amazons eventually did make their way to man's world, and they didn't like what they saw. So they turned Themyscira into a, quote, a vacation spot by their request only. So the Amazons invite some of the notorious people of the DCU to their island, Lex Luthor Jr., Simon Stagg, Vandal Savage, Veronica Kale, things like that. They are expecting a vacation, but they get more than they bargain for. They are treated like they treat others. So this is a satire book. So the villains will often represent characteristics of what we might see in the real world and real world events. Some of them change their ways. Some do not. But the Amazons show them the consequences of their actions and provide commentary on the world as it is outside our window. It is the Amazons' hope that they can influence human development in a more peaceful and loving direction. And we learn a lot about the human condition through these stories. And since this is a biting satire, the writer is Mark Russell and various artists for each arc. And also, I wanted to have a backup strip called Through Hippolyta's Eyes. And she sees the history of this version of the DCU and provides some backstories of other characters throughout the line. It's a little bit fantasy island in a way. Little Fantasy Island, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. What did you do with Pariah? That's not an obvious one. <laughs> so Pariah is a superhero for whom nothing ever goes right. It's a comedy. He tries to do the right thing, but something always goes wrong. For example, he stops a bank robbery, but the building collapses. So the outsiders and other heroes want nothing to do with him. Thus, he's a pariah. His powers, well, he's strong, but he's not that strong. He's fast, but he's not that fast. He's smart, but he's not that smart. <laughs> The supporting characters are occasionally the inferior five, for example. And by the way, his secret ID 
is Murphy Law. My wife made that one up. I had to do that. Is when I describe the character too. So secret identity is Murphy Law. So he fights villains like Major Disaster, Doctor Light, uh, so on, and can only be done by a team of J.M.D. Mateus, Keith Giffen, and Ty Templeton on art with covers by Kevin McGuire. Okay, that's blowing the others out of the water. Nice fellow comic right there. <laughs> I also went for the comedy, uh, essentially. The book is called Crisis on Infinite Worlds, and it's Ooh. going to make good use of the worlds I'm spotlighting across the line, the Land of Nightshades, Federa, Omax Future, the Vagan System, but also any number of Earths and parallel dimensions. As per the Crisis story, Pariah is uncontrollably transported to crises, This has been happening for a while now, thanks to DC Editorial. <laughs> And he's, he stopped caring. He stopped feeling anguish about it. He's gone a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and he's just having fun. He's taking it in his stride. He's mocking the whole situation. So this series is going to take a, a savage parody approach to DC's big events. And we'll see Pariah take part in Crises Past, like Zero Hour and Invasion and Armageddon 2001 and all that, and new, using Earths we don't see a lot of and putting them under threat. We can even see Earths get destroyed, you know. it's like Sometimes he's a bystander, sometimes he's forced to take action, usually he doesn't want to be there, and can't make himself care about what's happening because the multiverse is infinite. Well, you're, this version of this person is, is being destroyed, but who cares? They're like a billion others. So <laughs> it, it's about revisiting DC's most well-worn tropes and making fun of them as Pariah drinks cocktails on the Titanic, so to speak. <laughs> I love it. All right, next up, Peacemaker. Really our last hero in this issue. And with the success of the Peacemaker TV series, DC, I know, has started pushing Peacemaker comics. I mean, Garth Ennis is doing a Black Label series called Peacemaker, Disturbing the Peace, and it looks, it looks really grim and gritty, which is yeah. not like the TV series. Peacemaker comes off as like a psychotic killer more than an endearing goofball. So we're going full James Gunn on this one. It's okay. Peacemaker with John Cena's likeness, uh, with the supporting cast from the show, with the pot shots taken at the Snyderverse, with the heart and the goofiness and the outrageous hyperviolence and profanity. Black Label and HBO Max can get their logos on there if they want. But the audience is getting just what the show promises. I almost went that exact same direction. But instead, I went a totally different direction. The Peace Space, capital M, Maker. The Peacemaker. And this book stars Donna Troy. Oh. Donna Troy was never found by Wonder Woman. She grew up in an orphanage and was later recruited into the OSS and trained as a field operative. But after becoming disillusioned by the OSS, she was inspired when the Amazons revealed themselves and left OSS to bring peace to the world. So she takes on tough jobs like as a hostage negotiator, she's a diplomat, a UN operative, basically tough situations where brains are needed to resolve them as well as once in a while some action thrown in. Think Modesty Blaze meets Emma Peel. Globe hopping, very stylish book written by Modesty Blaze creator Peter O'Donnell, illustrated by Dick Giordano, who draws beautiful women. I'm a big fan of Donna Troy's. My bonus book is Just the six-issue origin of the Persuader uh, at the conclusion of the Janus Directive, written and drawn by John Byrne. And after that, we get a whole new status quo for the teens and this universe. Oh, okay. So mysterious. <laughs> um, I went a little crazy. I chose Nuclear Family. <laughs> It's a satirical book in some ways inspired by the movie Blast from the Past. 
the one with Brendan Fraser. In this version of the story, Dr. Shainer uh, recreated his own family in the 1950s before dying from radiation like the rest of them. Thinking themselves real and capable of realizing it was weird that they weren't getting any older, they survived to our time in a fallout shelter, but now mom's battery has become defective and they don't know why she's sick, so they send Biff and Sis to the outside world for medical help, judging that maybe, you know, the apocalypse has come and gone, and the world might be safe again. Eventually, the rest of the family will come out of the bunker, too, and what we have is a confrontation of 1950s and 2020s attitudes and ideals, which is meant also to comment on, you know, on today's political spectrum, with some pretty acidic humor. Blast from the Past meets Mad Men meets Blade Runner. Like, what happens when they find out they're androids, you know? It's kind of a goofy book, but I could imagine it, a young animal, kind of. So finally, we follow the now well-established tradition that states that we have only enough money to buy one series from the other editor's line. Which one will it be? Paul? Well, uh, boy, uh, I'm trying, I'm looking through my notes. I really liked your Atom Smasher, your Nimbus. I might have to go with the... Uh, Wonder Woman family book Amazons, though, and I think what sold it for me was the humor Kanga strip. <laughs> One page. I You had some really good reinterpretations or reinventions of characters. You know, I liked Omak, obviously. I liked Pack Rat. And it was Nimbus until you pulled that creative team on a Pariah comedy book. So it's going to be, <laughs> okay. I can't believe it, but I'm buying Pariah. <laughs> well, and you almost bought Nimbus. So there you go. <laughs> That's true. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Well, dear listeners, it's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Uh, and who do you think the persuader is? Would you read any of these yes. books? And if you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. I hope you had fun, Paul. I had a great time. It was a lot of work ahead of time, but I, I had a great time. This is just super fun. It's a great idea for a podcast. This Thanks. And speaking of good ideas for a podcast, what's coming up on Batman Family Reunion? Well, when this is released, we will have just dropped episode six of Batman Family Reunion. So hopefully people uh, have enjoyed that. That's the one with um, the first appearance of the Joker's daughter, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. And uh, shortly, I will also be appearing on Mountain Comics with Rob, discussing an issue of the Dazzler. Dazzling. <laughs> so thanks for trying to experiment with me. Until next time, who's editing? We are. Taking everything I love about Nightwing and showing the world why this character is an A-lister. The heart of the DC Universe, it's, it's said a lot. He is this wonderful character who just wants to look after people.